Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to a bonus episode of the TLS podcast. I'm Thea Lenarduzzi, an editor here at the TLS. The article you're about to listen to, part of a series of long reads taken from the TLS, is narrated by the team at NOAA, News Over Audio. You can listen to more TLS articles on the TLS website and in the NOAA app. You're listening to the TLS. This is Greatest Hits, the influence of pop music on literature by Paul Genders, a freelance writer and editor, from the issue of August 6th, 2021. An important moment in the relationship between pop music and writing occurred in 2017, when the Nobel Prize in Literature was awarded to Kazu Ishiguro. The previous year, it had gone to Bob Dylan. Though the earlier award might have seemed the greater triumph for popular song, Dylan is a musician whose work, full of poetic and novelistic influences, is rooted in the literary canon. Ishiguro, on the other hand, is a novelist who has been decisively guided by musicians. His earliest efforts as a writer, he has said, were songs in the mould of Leonard Cohen, and he has credited Tom Waits as a crucial model for the voice of his novel titled The Remains of the Day, published in 1989. The shape of Ishiguro's creative development seems typical of writers of his and subsequent generations. If, like Ishiguro, your formative years came any time after the mid-1950s, it's likely that you were first exposed to the literary and artistic potential of language by musicians rather than authors. In Long Players, a collection of short pieces by poets, novelists and journalists about the albums that have most affected them, The recurrent suggestion is that you can learn more about writing from songs than you can from books, especially when you're young. In my view, David Bowie was a great writer, says Deborah Levy, about the album called The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, released in 1972. 
He has influenced me more than Tolstoy ever will do. I was no artist at that point, but badly wanted to become one, writes George Saunders, remembering his first listen to Fragile, released in 1971 by Yes. The progressive rock band's opaque, quasi-meaningless lyrics helped the aspiring short story writer to see past inhibitory notions of authorial control. In his words, to make something beautiful might mean to make something that you, the artist, don't fully understand. David Mitchell, who in 2020 published a novel called Utopia Avenue about a fictional psychedelic rock act, comes close to identifying Joni Mitchell's 1971 album called Blue, with its intricate narrative interleavings, as the hidden key to his own literary method. A character from side A cropping up on side B? My future writer self stored the idea on a shelf marked Don't Forget. The candour of Blue's lyrics, pages torn from a raw autobiography, also provided, he says, his first encounter with female experience and agency, triggering a leap forward in the development of his sympathetic imagination. The pieces by Mitchell and Saunders are thoughtful about the writing process and seem like true assessments of the impact of these LPs on their own creative growth. In the case of many of the other writers collected here, though, the claimed epiphanies are harder to digest. Patricia Lockwood tells us that the first time she heard the album titled It'll End in Tears, released in 1984, by This Mortal Coil, she was left, in her words, motionless on the floor, gay, made of gauze, clutching myself against a background of dissolving stars, something valuable in my throat. I could feel it. Preti Tanasia's destiny, meanwhile, was disclosed to her by the group A Tribe Called Quest, on the 1993 album titled Midnight Marauders. Quote, I shed skins to that music and grew gills and scales. In my mind, I became my own tribe. It was midnight, and I went marauding. This tone of soaring overstatement is so prevalent in long players that you begin to wonder where it comes from, and whether these albums, if they really were as life-altering as is claimed, may have played a part. Olivia Lang, celebrated for several books of non-fiction, written in a style that until recently would have been thought a little overcooked, identifies R.E.M.'s Automatic for the People, released in 1992, as crucial to her formation as a writer. The sadness of Michael Stipe's voice seeped under my skin, creating a convivial fug of melancholy, she says. It isn't difficult, in fact, to see a direct line between Lang's prose and Stipe's vocal performance on a song like Everybody Hurts. What they share is a sort of forced tenderness, unrelenting, and in the end, slightly dubious. Lang's voice, like Lockwood's and Tanasia's, is in a specific contemporary register. The novelist Daisy Johnson, writing about Lizzo's album titled Cause I Love You, released in 2019, inadvertently sums up this particular idiom when she praises the album as a furious call for both self-sufficiency and universal care. These are songs you play when you are about to go into a meeting you are uncertain you belong in, she says, or after a long day walking through the autumn dusk. Johnson's words ring with the familiar sonorities, as well as the jargon of the rhetoric of personal empowerment. 
This is a verbal manner that currently seems inescapable. It's there in the clarion calls of social media activists. In Instagram communiques, designed to bolster self-esteem. And increasingly in the op-eds of Generation Z-chasing media outlets. It's so rife among the authors here that it's reasonable to ask how much pop music itself is responsible for its mixture of syrupy boosterism and worn-out lyrical frills. You do worry, reading some of the more emotive pieces in Long Players, about the damage that music may have done to literary writing, to several generations now of poets and novelists. Is there too strong a tendency in pop towards the hurried articulation of the most immediately available thoughts? Is it just too cursory, too short-breathed, to be a constructive influence on writers working in forms that demand more patience? It isn't fair to blame David Bowie, whose approach was generally elusive, depersonalized, anti-sentimental. In short, in keeping with the sensibility of the 20th century literary avant-garde, but it wouldn't have hurt a few of these authors, you suspect, to have spent more time reading Tolstoy and less time listening to tearful singer-songwriters or bombastic rappers. It's a relief, then, that a handful of contributors remind us what else music can bring to a writer's repertoire of themes and techniques. Rachel Kushner, writing about the 1987 album Mother Juno by The Gun Club, not only helps to disinter a band that deserves to be better known, but hints at the force of their eerie rejigging of American folk traditions, full of that ecstatic, doomed sense that Melville called the power of blackness in his nation's literature. I don't know what to say, writes Kushner, except it holds in it a secret that I've convinced myself has to do with me. Daljeet Nagra recalls being drawn as a teenager to the grain of pure Englishness in Morris's vocals on the Smiths' Meet His Murder, released in 1985. A voice of quaint English churchyards inside Victorian railings under rain. Nagra is sensitive to the element of social and political decline, and even of menace embodied in this voice. We're reminded that, as effectively as any English fiction and poetry of the 1980s, the Smiths managed to create an enduring image of the mood of that time and place. The rock critic David Hepworth in his choice of Randy Newman's 1972 album Sail Away, stands up for Pop's ability to show off our transgressive instincts. The album, which consists of a series of dramatic monologues delivered by disreputable characters, a controlling lover, an unsympathetic deity, is admired for its ruthless lack of sentiment. The interesting thing about unworthy thoughts is that everybody has them, says Hepworth. Concise acts of character development, taking us into secret human depths, are something that songs are particularly fitted to. According to Kazo Ishiguru, it was the battered soldier struggling to open his heart to his beloved in Tom Waits' song Ruby's Arms, who breathed life into Stevens, the austere butler of his novel titled The Remains of the Day. Pop music has guided literary writers in any number of ways. We might think of David Bowie's persuasive repackaging of experimental notions from visual and performance art, Joni Mitchell's deftness in capturing the flow of inner urgencies, Bob Dylan opening up the lyric voice with the spontaneities of demotic speech, 
Right now, future Nobel laureates and Booker Prize winners are being inducted in the poetic function of language by Billie Eilish, no doubt. Or even, to judge by the commercialism of some of the choices in long players, Bruno Mars. We will soon find out whether these influences prove as fertile as the pop music of previous decades, or whether the golden age really has come and gone. You've been listening to the TLS. This was Greatest Hits, the influence of pop music on literature, by Paul Genders, from the issue of August 6th, 2021. It was read by Martin Buchanan for Noah. Thank you for listening. You'll find more audio articles on the TLS website as well as in the Noah News Over Audio app. And we are happy to announce the return of the exclusive TLS subscription offer, exclusive that is, to our podcast listeners. So there's really quite a lot to be getting on with. Go to the-tls.co.uk forward slash pod to take up this offer. And don't forget to listen and subscribe to our weekly show with me and Lucy Dallas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.